Please include the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. in your year-end giving. You can donate online at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call 618-223-8385. For a year-end gift of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Over Ruled 3, Answering Arguments Against Christianity, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support at the end of 2023. somebody who is removing books from the Bible because he doesn't like their theology. And that's Martin Luther. And you don't have to take my words for it, you can take Martin Luther's words for it. In his preface to the epistles of St. James and St. Jude in 1522 in his German translation of the Bible, he says he likes, he says, though the epistle of St. James was rejected by the ancients, that's a gross mischaracterization of the debate about St. James, but nevertheless, I praise it and consider it a good book because it sets up no doctrines of men, but vigorously promulgates the law of God. However, to state my own opinion about it, though without prejudice to anyone, I do not regard it as the writing of an apostle. That is Roman Catholic apologist Joe Heschmeyer of Catholic Answers. Is it true that Luther removed James from the Bible? It's odd that he's reading from an introduction to Luther's translation of James, which was included in Luther's Bible. How did we get the canon of Scripture, the books that we say, these are God's word? Did someone decide? Was it a council? Was it a pope? Was it an emperor? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to discuss the biblical canon, Pastor Don Stein. He's pastor of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Rockton, Illinois. Pastor Stein, welcome. Thank you, Todd. Good to be here. Good to chat with you. Thank you for the opportunity. This issue of the biblical canon is not simply a pastoral or academic concern for you. It's also a little personal. How is that? Yeah, that's right. So my wife, Emily, and she's a magnificent, wonderful Lutheran nowadays, was raised Roman Catholic. And so uh, we were, before I had considered ministry, uh, married in the Roman Catholic Church. I never, ever converted, and that was never an option. But for a time, we lived together as non-communing husband and wife, and the issue of the canon was one that Roman Catholic apologists were very happy to argue with because they think that they've got a, a free gotcha with Lutherans here, especially since we ascribe to this thing called sola scriptura, and yet our understanding of the scriptures is very different from the canon that Catholics have put together. And so this became a point that I needed to have a, a solid understanding in, in order to be a good husband and to understand my faith more clearly. So I started looking into the Lutheran view of the canon compared to some of the Catholic polemics that were being tossed about and that are still very popular on the internet, as we uh, just heard from uh, Joe Heschmeyer. What does the word itself mean, canon? You know, that is the place to start. Canon is the word for rule, and that's really all it is. A canon is, for us, the sole rule and norm by which we measure our doctrine. That's what the scriptures are to us. And it's that simple. When we look at the scriptures, we want a rule and norm by which we can settle doctrinal disputes and that sort of thing. For other communions, it's not that simple. For the Roman Catholics, the uh, canon serves as a way of, well, kind of excommunicating or declaring anathema anybody who disagrees. And so it's a very different way of understanding what the Scriptures are. We also have to deal with a couple other terms that get bandied about and are 
very often, perhaps maybe even most often misunderstood. The first one is homo legumina. Yeah, there's a fun word, the, the same word, homo, meaning the same of one. And these are the books that the early church agreed were very plainly and very obviously the Word of God. And this is where you get the clearest witness to our Lord Jesus Christ. You get things like the Gospels and Acts, the Pauline letters, the Petrine letters. I mean, these are the books that form the core of our canon, our rule and norm, and they're used as a source for our doctrine. And then I suppose that leads us into another important term, which is antilegomena. So you have your homologomena, that same word, and your antilegomena. And what that means is spoken against. These were the books that the early church, and even some today, had some questions about. Maybe the author was unknown, or the books were just not as clear in their witness to Christ as the homologomena are. And so these are books like Hebrews, um, where we don't know the author for sure. Maybe it was Paul, maybe it was Apollos. Um, Luther seemed to favor the idea that it was Apollos, because he writes very much like Paul, but doesn't seem to have the same understanding of the scriptures that Paul likes to typically speak about. And then you've got books like James, and uh, the big one was the Revelation of St. John. And in the early church, it was a big question about whether Revelation belonged in the canon or not. And to this day, there are some Orthodox Christians who do not read the book of Revelation in church or in their liturgies, and there are even some Lutherans who uh, have some issues with it. So when it comes up in the lectionary, uh, they choose a different text, but they keep generally quiet about that so as not to cause any disturbance. And I'm sure we'll get a chance to explain why that's not necessarily a wrong or bad view as we go on with our discussion. I think it's important to point out that the testimony of the ancient church, these books are simply not universally accepted. Some of the ancient church did accept these antilegomena books, although Revelation, you're right, is hard to find people who were gung-ho about it. But none of these books were broadly accused of containing any false doctrine, were they? A hundred percent. Yes, Todd, that's exactly right. That's a huge distinction that needs to be made. As St. Paul tells Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, all of it. And so while the Church may have had questions about some of the antilegomena, there was never any doubt that this was the Word of God. It did not conflict with the homologomena on the very clear central tenets of the Christian faith. Was the question of some of these books tied into not so much their content as their apostolicity? Could they be connected to the other authors or the apostles of Scripture? That is a, a very good question, Todd, and a very interesting one to answer, because if you look back at the witness of the ancient fathers, this is where you get some different responses. Some had no problem, including the antilegomena. Others would have a little bit of, of difficulty just because they couldn't prove that apostolic witness. And so the Church had kind of a, a working agreement on how to make this distinction between homologumina and antilegomena work so that everybody understood what was happening. And, and the whole point goes back to that point of having a canon, having a rule. It's to settle doctrinal disputes. And so what are we having these doctrinal disputes about? 
Well, if we're being the church, it should be on what is giving the clearest witness to the message of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so our focus is always on preaching Christ's word in its fullness. And so that's how they would look back to the teaching of the apostles and others to make sense of what was happening. You know, this issue of canonicity is sometimes wrongly framed in the way that someone either needs to believe that a holy group of cardinals got together and voted on what is in the Bible, or that, um, you know, some royal publishing company published a, a great table of contents, and that's what we follow. But we Lutherans really do not fit either into the Roman Catholic view of the canon, nor even into the general Protestant view of the canon, because we just keep the ancient view of Scripture, along with many Eastern Orthodox. And that's where Scripture is an historical question. And Francis Pieper gets into this in his Dogmatics, Volume 1, right around page 330 or so. Our Lutheran confessions simply do not specify the number of books in the canon of Scripture. It's kind of just like how uh, we don't specify exactly how many sacraments there are. Maybe there's two or three, maybe more. We care about how those books are used, not how they are counted. Because again, the point of the canon, that rule, is not just to have some table of contents to anathemize anyone who disagrees, but to have that rule and norm by which to measure our doctrine, to make sure that we are passing on the apostolic faith that Jesus Christ himself taught to the apostles, and it has been passed down ever since. Talk a little bit about the small library of books that have often traveled with the canonical books. That is the Apocrypha. What is it? Yeah, so along with the uh, homologomena and the antilogomena, we get this other group of books called the Apocrypha, meaning hidden. And they're sometimes also called the deuterocanonical books, meaning a second canon, a second rule. And it's because they're not authoritative in the same way that the general canon is. Uh, these were books that were in some church use, but also excluded from others. These are books like Tobit and Sirach and, and Maccabees. These are books that are very useful for Christian reading. They were included in the original Septuagint, the Greek version of our, our Bibles, but they were not included in the Hebrew language, which means they came a little later than uh, some of the Old Testament books. And so these books never had the same authority that the homologomena or antilogomena had. And so in, in Luther's day, it was a, a big discussion between theologians, and this was never a church-dividing issue, but a discussion over how to use these and where to place them, whether to count them as canonical or non-canonical, because everybody knew that they weren't up to the same level as the rest of the uh, uh, scriptures that were read in the church. And so Luther took the approach that was shared by many Roman Catholics at the time, including very learned cardinals like Cardinal Cayetan, and they would keep these books in the canon in the sense that they could be read in church and useful for Christian reading, but they didn't consider them canonical in the sense that these were actually the inspired Word of God. These were simply useful for Christian reading. And it's worth noting that Cardinal Cayetan was no friend of Luther. In fact, he was the guy who was uh, overseeing Luther's first trial at Augsburg, and yet he kept the exact same view of Luther when it comes to the scriptures. So when Roman Catholic apologists 
and polemicists try to say that Luther was doing something novel or, or new in recognizing the Apocrypha as non-canonical, that he was a horrible radical. But it's a, a kind of an anachronistic accusation since many Catholics at the time held the exact same view as Luther. Pastor Don Stein is our guest, pastor of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Rockton, Illinois. We're talking about the biblical canon. We'll get to the Council of Trent and its overreaction to Luther's view of the canon next. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December uses detailed illustrations and rhyming text to tell the story of Jesus' birth. It's titled, N is for Nativity. This new hardcover children's book is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about N is for Nativity at issuesetc.org. Use the ABCs from Advent to Zion to teach your children and grandchildren the Christmas story with N is for Nativity. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713 713- 855-2681. Learn and grow with us at Redeemer Lutheran Church, 7670 East Jomax Road, Scottsdale, Arizona. The gifts of Christ are received every Lord's Day in the 9 a.m. Divine Service. Confessional, Evangelical, Sacramental, Liturgical. Lutheranism the way it used to be. Lutheranism the way it can be once again. If you're in Scottsdale or in the Phoenix metro region, we'd love to have you visit. And please also visit our website, RedeemerScottsdale.org Real Reformation Radio, you're listening to Issues Etc. Issues Etc. guest Dr. Ben Mays of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Here's what Martin Luther says about the pastoral office. My pastor is practicing the virtue that increases God's kingdom, fills heaven with saints, plunders hell, robs the devil, wards off death, represses sin, preserves peace and unity, and plants all kinds of virtue in the people. In a word, he is making a new world. He builds not a poor temporary house, but an eternal and beautiful paradise in which God himself is glad to dwell. We are calling good men to step up. Come to Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana.
Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about the biblical canon with Pastor Don Stein, pastor of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Rockton, Illinois. The Lutheran Witness magazine would make a great Christmas gift for the Lutheran loved ones in your life. An annual print and digital subscription is less than $25. For more information, visit cph.org witness or call Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective, the Lutheran Witness magazine. Pastor Stein, talk about the Council of Trent and its overreaction to Luther's view of the canon. Yeah, the Council of Trent really marks a change in the Catholic Church from then on. Up until that time, Bibles were never really standardized, and and part of that is just the general practicality that there weren't that many printers, and if you had the ability to print, you didn't necessarily print the entire Bible in one volume. Although that was starting to catch on, you had movable type that had just been into practice. And the other part of that is that there was no need for this within the church. The witness of the apostles was going to be preached no matter what, no matter whether it was uh, written down or, or printed. And you can kind of understand this very simply by thinking, if the Bible, every single copy of the Bible were to disappear overnight, would we completely lose God's word? And the answer is, of course, no. The witness of the apostles, God's word, is passed down through his people, through our memory and and through our sharing of the word of God with one another. Uh, Of course, that's not to say that we should ever wish that to happen, and we should certainly defend our scriptures and not let books be burned or anything like that. It's uh, the greatest of God's gift that we could have this written word to rely on. But Council of Trent really changes things, because from this point on, Rome decides you have to have 73 books in your Bible, and only the Vulgate version of that Bible is going to be authoritative. And this this is a remarkable change from all of the past history of the Church. Now Rome is saying this is the Bible. And so they ended up anathematizing even their own theologians. And this was really controversial, even within the Roman Catholic Counter-Reformation, because you had this vote that took place at Trent, where you have 24 bishops voting to attach an anathema to the canon, to basically say, if uh, you don't believe in exactly 73 books, you are cursed, you are anathema. 24 bishops in favor, and 15 bishops opposed, so it's already pretty contentious, and 16, 16 abstentions. So 16 people said, I don't want to vote on this. So if you add that all up, (laughs) you know, you've got, what, 32 who are either opposed or not comfortable attaching a curse here to the 24 who want to say, go get those angry, uh, terrible Lutherans. And, you know, it could have gone another way had Cardinal Cayetan still been alive or maybe uh, Cardinal Pole not been removed from leading the deliberations at Trent. But unfortunately, it's not the way it went. The Roman Catholic Church decided to close the canon at Trent, and that was that. And I guess that you had mentioned the Lutheran Confessions never specifying. They simply talk about the prophetic and apostolic scriptures. But with regard to those Antilogomena books, they seem pretty, even Luther himself seems pretty at ease with citing James, citing Revelation, citing the book of Hebrews. Indeed. Luther wasn't initially that warm to James because he thought that there were ways that you could misread him to be speaking against a justification by grace through faith. 
But of course, we know that that's certainly not the case. James is speaking of a dead faith rather than the living faith, which we as Christians are gifted by the Holy Spirit. And so initially in his uh, commentaries on James, he wrote that he considers it a good book, but not included in his canon because he doesn't want to confuse people. Now, again, that was a common view at the time, but Luther also doesn't stop anybody from including it in their canons. Because again, he knows how it's going to be used is more important than how it's going to be counted. It's going to be used to confirm the true doctrines. And so you have these books like James or like Revelation that people have some questions about or maybe always want to pair with a homologomena book to make sure it's clear. But they're still scripture, very much scripture. Now, you get a little bit later into Lutheran history and you get to America And you have some theologians who are saying things like, well, you know, maybe Revelation isn't actually uh, God's Word. I'm really uncomfortable preaching from it. And Walther has to answer this question. And so it's the questions posed to him, you know, people who reject Revelation being true Scripture, are they actually Christians or are they dangerous, damnable heretics teaching bad things here? And Walther actually writes to the conclusion that the Lutheran Confessions do not specify the number of books in the Bible. And so if they're still teaching the apostolic faith, it is technically possible, although certainly not advisable, that one could hold a book like Revelation to not be canonical in the sense of being belonging in uh, read in church, but still could be useful for Christian teaching. <laughs> Obviously, that is a minority opinion within the Lutheran Church, not one that I would ever subscribe to, but Walther admits it is potentially possible. And when Luther himself undertook his translation of Scripture into German, he did translate not only the Antilogomata books and include them there, but he also translated the Apocryphal books. Yes, and in fact, Luther actually translated the Prayer of Manasseh, which uh, if you were to count all the books in Luther's version of the Bible in German, it's going to come to 74, which is one more than Roman Catholics have in their books today. So again, we have this concept of the canon, which is truly God's Word, and the greater canon, which is useful for Christian teaching and teaches us more about our context and our scriptures. So let's talk about how the canon is, well, that there is a canon within the canon in a practical sense, that the Gospels, the four Gospels, really are the, the heart of the canon, and they serve as the test of any other book. Absolutely, Todd. We're looking back to the whole point of having a canon. Once again, I've said it several times, and it's always going to be true. The whole point is to have a rule and norm that brings us back to Jesus. And there's no books in all the world that show us Jesus so clearly as the four canonical Gospels. And so we include the Gospels as our starting point. That's where we're going to start our scriptures. And then we can include anything that Jesus himself in those Gospels pointed to as the scriptures. So we also include the law and the prophets, which he mentions all the time. We include Jonah, you know, the the minor prophets, because Jesus himself references these. And then we also are able to include books like Acts, where we have the works of his apostles going out into the world, and we can include the writings of those apostles, Peter's letters and all those types of things. And so we're able to build a working 
wonderful canon that gives us that witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. Now let's discuss how someone might use the apocryphal books, and then we'll go on to discuss the the canon itself. How should those apocryphal books be used? You know, that is a very good question. How should we use these apocryphal books? We should use the apocryphal books to strengthen our understanding of the faith and of history and of the canonical scriptures. I'm not meaning to hawk uh, (laughs) books here, but the uh, CPH version of the Apocrypha has a wonderful foreword where it explains why the Apocrypha are useful for Christian reading. If you want to understand where some of our hymnody comes from, such as Now Thank We All Our God, that wonderful Thanksgiving hymn, it comes straight out of the Apocrypha. These types of things are are only going to enrich our Christian understanding. You know, if you're looking for something more to read, uh, this is where you want to invest your time. The statement is often repeated that Luther regarded the Epistle of James as, quote, an epistle of straw. I've even had conversations with fellow Lutheran pastors who feel like that statement, made, by the way, outside the Lutheran Confessions, (laughs) <laughs> gives them permission to not only reject James as a book, but to reject what it teaches. No, that would be a horrible shame and abuse of what Luther is actually saying. Um, and I think it's helpful if folks would read Luther's forward to the book of James, because he even uh, saw that that epistle of straw comment was being entirely overblown. It was speaking of that in a comparative sense, you know, the, the epistle of James compared to the letters of Paul or compared to the Holy Gospels just doesn't show Christ as clearly. It's not a a qualitative statement that it is an epistle of straw and deserves to be burned. It's a comparative one. And he also framed that with the plain fact that he praises it and considers it a good book because it sets up no doctrines of men but vigorously promulgates the law of God. And that's exactly why Luther ends up saying that he would not prevent anyone from including it in the canon, because there are many good sayings in James. I mean, just a casual observation of the book itself, it really teaches, it's kind of an exposition on the moral teachings of Christ himself. There's not a single thing said there that Christ didn't say in one form or another. Exactly. So anyone who is going to decry the content of the book of James is clearly missing (laughs) what it's saying. And when it comes to expressing justification, yeah, sure, it could be a little more clearly, but that's why we have the homologomena to make more better and clearer sense of what books like James are saying. Pastor Don Stein is our guest. We're talking about the biblical canon. We'll deal with some other straw man arguments against the Lutheran view of the canon next. Please include the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. in your year-end giving. You can donate online at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call 618-223-8385. For a year-end gift of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Over Ruled 3, Answering Arguments Against Christianity, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. 
Thanks for listening and thanks for your support at the end of 2023. Our children are always a blessing to us, but not only are we blessed by them, but we have opportunities to bless them as well. Pastor Christopher Nuttleman, in the December issue of The Lutheran Witness, takes up the topic of blessing your children, how to bless them in your home with the Word of God and prayer. To learn more, pick up your copy of the December issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe or visit witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. During this Advent season, we recall the sacred moment when Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and placed him in a manger. The manger, a symbol of humility, teaches us the true meaning of Christmas. From all of us at Lutheran Church Extension Fund, may the simplicity of that manger inspire your Advent season. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com. Defending the faith, teaching the truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Dr. Russell Dawn, President of Concordia University, Chicago. Indeed, the quest for truth is at the core of a university's purpose. The liberal arts, illuminated by the revealed truths of Scripture, are powerful for equipping students for a life of self-governance. A disciple is one who follows the Master. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? He said that it means to take up one's cross. The cross is thus the symbol of dying for others, of dying to self for the sake of serving others. And a life of service is a life well-lived. Truth, freedom, vocation. Concordia University, Chicago. cuchicago.edu With the Advent hymn, Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding, playing right now on our 24-7 Sacred Music Station, Lutheran Public Radio. You can listen to sacred music for the Advent season 
at lutheranpublicradio.org, Amazon Alexa, Google Home, Apple HomePod, or the LPR mobile app, Lutheran Public Radio. We're discussing the biblical canon. Pastor Don Stein is our guest. He's pastor of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Rockton, Illinois. Pastor Stein, are there any other straw man arguments against the Lutheran view of the canon that we need to deal with? Yeah, you know, some of the popular ones online like to explore some hypotheticals. And what I mean by that is they'll say things like, well, Cardinal Cayetan and Luther may have had the same view of the canon, but Cardinal Cayetan would have submitted to Trent and uh, Luther wouldn't. And that is (laughs) quite the hypothesis considering that both were dead by the time that these canons of Trent would take effect. Catholics don't hold St. Augustine at fault for holding less than dogmatic views on you know, modern Marian dogmas. So it's a bit of a, an anachronistic double standard regarding uh, Luther and Cayetan. You know, on one hand, we get it. Luther's a very convenient whipping boy for the Roman Church, but his views on the canon were entirely Catholic and to claim the Council of Trent as a measuring post is just anachronistic. And when Roman Catholics realize that Trent isn't a fair measure of the canon, they often turn to earlier local non-ecumenical councils as if they are proof that a canon had already been established for Scripture. For instance, the councils of Hippo and Carthage and Florence established canons to be used within the local churches, because churches have the authority to do that locally, to do what is best for their people and to to teach in that way. It's the same reason why we have uh, two lectionaries that are used in our synod today, the one-year and the three-year. But the thing is that these are local decisions. They were not mandated upon the entire church Catholic, no matter what any Roman Catholic polemicist wants to uh, retcon into history here. And so uh, after they consider the historical fact, they sometimes retreat then to this position of, well, okay, you know, uh, Luther may have been okay for his time, but he really shouldn't have reordered the books. He shouldn't have taken the Apocrypha and put it in its own special section. And this is where we just got to look him in the face and say, does the physical order of books really determine whether something is Scripture? You know, we could put Genesis in the back of our Bibles, it would be a silly thing to do, but it wouldn't change the fact that it is clearly God's Word. So the thing to keep in mind is that the concept of a, of a single binding for all the biblical books was still very new at the time. Gutenberg's metal type had only been recently invented. And more importantly, if, if the order of books matters, then the Roman Catholics need to take a look in the mirror because some of their approved versions don't follow the exact same order all the time. And then what are they supposed to make of the uh, little New Testament and Psalm booklets that the uh, Pope blesses on World Youth Day? You can make the case that those are just superstitious trinkets. And if you move outside of English translations to other languages, the books hop around even more just due to the, the way that traditions in the Church Catholic evolve over time. And so the whole point of all of this is that there are lots of things for Roman Catholics to disagree with Luther about. We certainly don't agree on things like justification or indulgences even to this day. But the canon of Scripture is really not one. The Lutheran view of the canon is totally within the acceptable uh, range of even the Roman Church at that time. 
Another pair of myths regarding the canon that is popular, not so much within Christianity, but it is often repeated by critics of Christianity, is that there were all these books floating around. All of them had their fans and their detractors. But then at some point, either a council or maybe an emperor or a pope decided, no, we've got to cut some of these out because we don't like what they teach. And the arguments often made that, you know, we need to go back and reconsider these books that the early church did, in fact, clearly reject. What do you make of that? I think that sounds like a whole lot of uh, modern thinking being imposed upon the scriptures. <laughs> Todd, if, if I could cut out all the parts of the scriptures that I don't like, I would be left with a very short book, and <laughs> I would be making myself to be God. <laughs> The scriptures are the holy scriptures. The church has always recognized that in total, no matter what any pope or council or king may say, because they will err and they will contradict one another. We have to stand on the word of God. The witness of the apostles is clear, and we can trust that the books that we have are God's word. Let's go back and just summarize. How would you compare and contrast Roman Catholicism's view of canonicity with orthodoxy and with the Lutheran view? Sure. So you've got essentially two views that the world sees, this Roman Catholic view, where you have 73 books that are appointed and voted on at the Council of Trent, and that is the way it is. And if you disagree, too bad. Roma locuta est, causa finita est. You know, Rome has spoken, the matter is finished. The other view is this general Protestant view that the Bibles have 66 books, period. That's it. They dropped out of the sky when uh, King James had it translated, and that's the way it is. (laughs) And that's that. And of course, we as Lutherans don't fit into either of those categories of closed canons, meaning that the Bible is a set thing. Instead, we Lutherans have what's called a technically open canon, even though it's effectively closed. And by that, we mean that the witness of the apostles is what guides our understanding of what Scripture is. We look for the clear witness of Christ passed down through all those generations to determine what has authority in our church body. We share this view with the Eastern Orthodox, or many of them. They, like the Lutherans, do not have a dogmatic canon or list of books. Some individual Orthodox communions do, but there is not one overarching unifying canon that they all subscribe to. And it's the same in our church bodies today. We have scriptures that we use, but we are not dogmatically specifying the exact number of books. So Luther can translate his Dibibo with 74. Uh, Lutherans may inherit a, you know, a Catholic grandmother's Bible with 73. We typically use books with 76, but we all know how to use them in the same way, which is to uh, witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. So how should a a layperson respond if they're approached by one of their Catholic friends and they say, well, you guys just cut books out of the Bible. You don't have the whole testimony of God. You can tell them lovingly that they're mistaken 
you can point them to the history of the Church and the witness of the Apostles, and you can ask them the question that they are thinking is probably going to be a gotcha for you, which is simply, what would you do if the Bible were not written? And you would still have the faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible is a wonderful gift, and once we realize that, we treat it like the gift that it is. It's not a table of contents. We don't have to have the exact number of books. We have to have God's Word. Pastor Don Stein is pastor of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Rockton, Illinois. Pastor Stein, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Todd. God's blessings to you. Friday on Issues Etc., we'll have Craig Parton respond to the argument that the Trinity is a light construct imposed on the Bible, and we'll continue our series, Kids Have Questions, with Pastor Jonathan Connor. Jesus says that we search those scriptures, those prophetic and apostolic scriptures, because therein we find Him. And when we find Him, we find forgiveness, life, and salvation. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., PO Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of His family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. The grace of God, the church's music, the Lord's Supper every service every Sunday, Preaching Christ crucified and risen, our hope for years to come, there is hope in St. Louis, Hope Lutheran Church, that is. 5218 Neosho Street, St. Louis, Missouri. Find us on the web at hopelutheranstl.org. This is Jeff Schwartz, General Manager of Lutheran Public Radio, with a message for listeners in the Mountain and Pacific time zones. We pledge to have Issues Etc. podcasts posted daily, no later than 5 p.m. Mountain, 4 p.m. Pacific. This will allow you to download and listen to the latest Issues Etc. podcast weekdays during your evening commute. Again, if you live in the Mountain or Pacific time zone, download Issues Etc. before you leave work and listen during your drive home. The blood of Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin all sin. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. Even when we are faithless, He remains faithful.
College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. The Substitute Organist Service, aptly abbreviated SOS, really has come to our rescue. Pastor Jim Holowatch of Christ Lutheran Church in Jackson, Mississippi. With the ever-growing shortage of skilled musicians in our community, we were approaching a real crisis. But thanks to the Substitute Organist Service, help is always just minutes away. With its easy, intuitive interface, friendly customer service, and outstanding musicianship, you really couldn't ask for more. You can find out more about the Substitute Organist Service at churchmusicsolutions.com. Do you dread going to work out? Performance Fitness in Edwardsville offers a fun, supportive, tight-knit community and environment. Visit them on the web at performancefitness618.com or call 618-692-5063. Performance Fitness is the facility in the St. Louis Metro East where the focus is on member results, not membership numbers. 618-692-5063 or performancefitness618.com. Performance Fitness of Edwardsville. 